0: Hi, this is Mark Tucker. And I'm Alan Furstenberg. Welcome to Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. How is it going, Mark?
1: It's been a good week. Um, lots, you know, just busy with doing lots of different things. I got to uh, work on a multi-platform game over the weekend, a voice game that hopefully will be done by November. We'll see. Um, oh, fun. I'll give you more uh, details as it comes out.
0: I, I can't wait to, to talk about it when it does. But, uh, so so you've been working on it. Is this a project you're working on yourself, or working on it with yes. the team? Or
1: okay, this is so, all a completely solo uh, project. I started it a, a while ago, um, kind of as uh, Number Spies ended its development. Then I uh, had this other idea that I'd been working on for a number of years, as far as the the concept. I actually even pitched it to a different, a couple different places, and it didn't seem like anybody was biting on it. And I'm like, this is just too good to not do. So, um, so I. I working on it and and uh, now i'm curious yeah it is. sounds it's like good. it'll be
0: fun okay
1: but yeah I'll, we'll we'll be able to play uh against each other
0: it sounds like a lot of fun okay i'm de- definitely looking forward to this <laughs>
1: um
0: but it it uh, this is going to be a weird question because i know this is this is the sort of thing that's really personal for a lot of people is what is your what does your development environment look like how when you're developing these sorts of things How do you do it? Because I know how I do it and I've talked to other developers and it seems like we all do it differently. So I'm kind of curious how
1: you do it. All right, sure. um. (laughs) So I come from a mostly Microsoft background, actually before I did voice. Um, So I remember back when Visual InterDev came out and first incarnations of the web and before .NET. Um, So I was actually a Visual Basic programmer for a while. And so when .NET came out, um, I had a choice. Am I gonna do C-sharp or I was gonna do VB.NET? And a couple of things pushed me towards the C-sharp route. Um, one, most of the examples were in C-sharp. And two, um, that uh, I didn't really like the syntax for the Visual Basic .NET. You know, they were saying that they're, oh, it's it's, it's the same and, and stuff. So. so that, that started, uh, you know, my, years and years of development with uh, C-sharp and more of a formal uh, programming uh, language with classes and, um, and you know, full-blown Visual Studio um, IDE. And so that's, that's, that's what I developed in, you know, professionally you know, at, at work and as a consultant um, for years and years and years and years. And so when um, when, Vo- when I came across Voice in 2016, I started looking around and the, one, there wa- weren't a lot of choices in lambda at that time, um, as far as different programming languages. You know, you can do lambda with C sharp and you know, Python and another and Java even and and stuff. Now um, there seems to be some performance uh, optimizations, or at least in the early days with uh, with Node and JavaScript. And I had some JavaScript background when I was uh, uh, doing yeah. some web stuff. So, so so kind of like all the examples for the voice Alexa stuff was in node. And I was so gonna say, kind of you
0: know, what, I, I know there are libraries for all of them, but it seemed like node is the big one that, that they were pushing.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, especially back in 2016, it was really just Alexa skills kit version one. There wasn't a lot of other you know, frameworks out there at the time. Um, so, so that's why I, I went ahead and went with, uh, with JavaScript and node. Uh, plus there's a lot that i like about node now that i've gotten into it you know the whole node package manager and all the different um, open source packages that you can pull in uh, there's just uh, lots of different things that you can use to include and not have to code everything mm-hmm. from scratch
0: now let me ask you something since since you're such a c sharp developer with the the visual studio you know using visual studio background um, are you using typescript or are you are you sticking to javascript
1: um, actually, I've, uh, so mostly JavaScript. I have done a little bit of looking into TypeScript. And once again, that was kind of in the, you know, w- when I made a pass to look at, at TypeScript, it was uh, very first out. And there was a bigger difference because JavaScript didn't have classes back then. And so there's been some evolution in, mm-hmm. in JavaScript itself where you, you can do classes and a number of things that uh, th- that's getting closer and closer to where I feel comfortable. Um, so, um, so no, no to TypeScript right now. There is, I, I, there's some sort of advantages to it, but it also slows me down. It seems like so. No,
0: I get it. it, it once again, this is interesting. How our backgrounds di- are, are so divergent in some ways, and yet eerily parallel. Because uh, <laughs> I, um, I've been a Java developer since literally version zero point nine of Java. Mm-hmm. And as Java became more of a server thing, I was doing all my, my server work in Java. So all of my editors tended to be Java editors. And the editor I've I've kind of settled on and I'm working with uh, at this point is um, IntelliJ IDEA, which okay. again, is a visual editor, mostly you know, around Java support. But as I finally started moving more and more into JavaScript and eventually into Node, that was the editor I continued to work with because it right. works fine with it. Um, but I, I, again, I find it interesting that both of us came from these very heavily typed languages and yet settled on a very untyped language. Because yes. I, don't, I don't use JavaScript either, or I don't use TypeScript either at right. this stage. Because I just, you know, every so often I look at it and I go, oh, I, I really wish I had types, but I'm not ready to make that leap. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So well, and uh, one of the things, uh, crazily enough, that I just has won me over to JavaScript is JSON. I, it's just so easy to yeah. to whip up an object and and add things to it, and and the fact that it, you know you can have lots of APIs that return back JSON. It's just made things so much easier, um, without having to do these heavy. You know, because I I was back in the XML days, so you'd have to you know spin up an XML parser. Yeah. Or, you know, yep. no, the, I mean,
0: you know, on one hand, XML is great because XML has types. And on the other hand, XML is horrible because XML has types. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very
1: heavy. And, yeah. and you know, the, the fact that there's just so much code that I would have to write that was the, you know, let's get the thing in XML or parse the XML and, and with uh, JSON, I don't have to do that.
0: Nope, I you. Gotcha.
1: So, Alan, you were mentioning that then, you know, you came from this JavaScript world and, and you've settled on IDJ I, I for the, for the IDE, right? And yeah. what are some advantages, I guess, to, to that environment?
0: Uh, I mean, versus, you know, VS Code? You know, uh, not in particular. I mean, you, mm-hmm. know, I've, you know, I've done very little work with VS Code, to be fair. Um, but that's mostly because I do most of my work on a Mac. So I, you know, I come from a heavy Unix background and working in Windows or when I, st- you know, when I was working with Windows, it was, a, at the time, it was a very, very alien environment. It was very difficult to shift from Windows to Unix back to Windows and back and forth. Right. Whereas Macs, Mac, um, since OSX has had Unix under the covers so it was very easy for me to make that transition nowadays i know the difference is a lot less uh but that's that's where i came from
1: right yeah no so you know interestingly since you know everything i did was in the business world with uh development then uh for the longest time it's been windows and i i've had a couple of chances i guess to to switch to to mac and i guess at this point i'm just it would slow me down once again, because oh yeah. yeah I know I mean, where yeah. I know where everything goes, and I you know I, there's just a lot that i I do that I just know it sometimes it runs into issues like, you know working on a team where we've got somebody that's on a Mac and i'm on a on Windows, and sometimes some of our uh, scripts and things we have to uh, tweak so that they work yeah. On both so there's some annoyances there that i wish weren't there
0: i wish but you know at least we no longer really have to deal with you know silly issues like line endings and file <laughs> names you know the, way back when those were big problems when dealing yeah. with it. now it's really really easy to just say you know put it into git and push it to a repository and check it out of the repository and everything just works
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, having gone through multiple different non-version controls at all to locking a single file so that nobody else can get it, so, you know, just everything to now to where Git is is just so much better. Um, But Git also has lots of complexities um, to it, and I'm, I'm definitely not the best, you know, Git command line person, and so one of the reasons, uh, one of the things I use is a tool called GitKraken. They're actually a local company out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, interesting. Um, so but it's 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 kind of like, a, I guess, Atlassian has like SourceTree or something like that, right? I was going to say
0: I use SourceTree, so I'm I'm curious to hear more about GitKraken because I'm always trying to find nice cross-platform tools.
1: Yeah, so GitKraken is you know based on that, uh, I guess, that Electron base where you can. Uh, in the end once the app is done you can have it on windows or linux or uh or mac Very nice. or,
0: so it, it gives you I, I assume it gives you a visual representation of what the mm-hmm. what what your source tree looks you know what the state of your repository looks like at a
1: time yeah so you know, i do all my branching and merging and prs and and things in that it's got some nice uh diff and merge tools uh, some and there, and there also has like a, a more of a lightweight uh, like task board or, or thing that, that's built into it. I, I don't really use that part of it uh, much, but uh, definitely a fan of the visual uh, no, I'm
0: I'm a, a big interface. fan of yeah, I'm a big fan of the visual. You know, it, it's funny, although IntelliJ has a uh, a Git management tool that's built into it and it understands Git very well. I almost always switch over to to source uh, source tree in order to to track what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. Same with Visual Studio Code. So because I you know I guess came from a Visual Studio background, then uh, Visual Studio Code was a, a well, I tried some uh, other like Sublime and um, I yeah. can't remember Atom, uh, some other ones, but uh, really like. Uh, Visual Studio Code, there's a number of different uh, extensions that uh, are available. Um, In fact, I've coded a couple of extensions. So when you're dealing with AWS, there's uh, config files that you have to figure, you have to remember where in the file system those configure files. So I created an AWS uh, CLI configure um, extension for Visual Studio Code, so it takes you right to where it is. Uh, It also gives you the ability to pick one of those and set that as your default configuration. And then it will make a backup copy of whatever it was, um, and then switch it to to the, to the that is the default. So that's uh, something that I've done and as well as there's uh, also configuration for Ask CLI that I I did a an extension mm-hmm. for. Yeah, um, so so you use so you deploy exclusively to AWS and Lambda, right? Yes, I do. So even when I do cross platform stuff, um, so you know once again I started with with Alexa, and there are advantages to doing. Lambda as your deployment for for your node projects for for Alexa, and so I've done that. And then I've also on the cross platform stuff. There's the ability uh, to put an API gateway, which is you know just a REST front end in front of that Lambda. Um, and so I do that, and that's where I point either Bixby or Google Assistant is mm-hmm. to that webhook. That so, so you don't the point. Code.
0: Okay, so you don't point Alexa to the webhook. You're using the the Alexa to Lambda. Directly. Oh, that's interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, there's some advantages. There's some, some uh, optimizations there, and it's, it's pretty simple to, to set up and deploy that way. So it gets me up and going quickly, and then I can add the API gateway. I'm actually working on something that I want to do um, with uh, the serverless framework where I can set up a, maybe a template that has the ability to have that uh, deployment across those three platforms but point to the same code base, Mm-hmm. Uh, with Jovo. So that's, that's something that uh, when I get to eventually, I'll get to it. But.
0: No, that's interesting. I know that when I, so most of my deployments are either AWS or uh, Google Cloud and Google Cloud Firebase. And it really depends on what, you know, uh, what the client wants or what I want to do. Most of my, my personal stuff, I tend to deploy to cloud. Um, most, but not all of my clients want to deploy to AWS. And for the ones that I um that I deploy to AWS, I do everything through the gateway. I don't set up I I don't have a split one this way, I have a single code base, a single point of entry, and you know, a, a single set of tools that are using that point of entry and, and monitoring the whole flow through mm-hmm. and not have to say, well, well, some are coming in here and some are coming in this function, and it it's it's just more straightforward for me. Even yeah though we know there's reasons why not to do it that way,
1: yeah, no, it's. I think I think it really just uh, it depends on how you want to do it. So for for me, I actually end up with if I'm doing three different platforms, I end up with three different lambdas. That's the hmm. same code that's deployed across three different um, lambda functions, so that um, API Gateway one and two are for you know Bixby and for for Google point hmm. to each separate lambdas, and then the Alexa points to the to the third lambda even though it's all the same code base there's three different functions um i just find that easier looking through the like the cloudwatch logs or um and stuff that everything's all one platform as opposed as opposed to mixed platforms yeah
0: no that makes sense and and uh, for me i like having it all as one platform this way i'm only looking at one log and not not trying to figure out is it working the same
1: on both is it yeah, is it broken in one and not yeah. the other? Or yeah.
0: I like yeah. having one code path and one lambda and you know the minor variations where
1: necessary. Yeah, and I can see that too. I'm you know.
0: Yeah. No, they both make they they're both make a lot of sense, just it's your approach and what works best. You know, sometimes and, cases, so, and what, sometimes
1: what the yeah, what the client wants, right? Is that what yeah, you're gonna well, say? Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I said, sometimes the client wants AWS and sometimes they want Google and and I actually I mean Yeah, I'm biased, and I know I'm biased about on the Google side. Um, One of the things I really like doing, though, with Google is taking advantage of uh, Firebase and Firestore, which have really nice integrations with cloud functions, Mm -hmm. and then using those to store um, basically the CMS configurations. So, you know, all the responses, any configuration, anything, you know, I like putting as much as possible into a configuration file, and then storing that file on uh, Firebase so that I can tweak configurations dynamically. Um, yes. Okay. Well, one of the one of the really nice parts of that is I don't need to configure the uh, the Cloud Function to Firestore or Firebase connection because it has that built in. It it knows what you know as long as I'm in the same project, it knows what where to go. Um, And the neat thing about the Firestore and Firebase databases, as opposed to something like DynamoDB, is that they're what they call a real-time database. So if I make the change in the database, all the instances that were using that database get notified about the change.
1: So they're
0: they're not constantly making API calls, they're using an in-memory copy of the configuration. And when I change the configuration in the database, the configuration and memory automatically changes. That's nice, and that has that has some nice performance advantages to it.
1: Yeah, because like uh, I I use a lot with a, a environment variables on the lambda function, and so I can make a change to that, but it's not until the next instance of the lambda and the people that are on that next instance that something picks up. I, I so. And again, that's, that's, a that's a nice feature. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There, there are certainly advantages to to doing it that way, and there are advantages to sticking to one platform. I, it, it, I wouldn't want to deploy on AWS and then go hit Firestore. I could do it, but that that starts getting to why? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> why, why manage two projects when I could, man, you know, when managing one can be tough enough sometimes.
1: So um, you know, as far as you know. I guess pretty much every project I have with AWS, you know, has a Lambda, has DynamoDB for the the user data store, uh, has S3 for static audio files mm-hmm. and, and images for you know, APL. Um, of course that you know, gives me uh, anything uh, locked down with uh, IAM and uh, then API Gateway if I'm going to do something else. Uh, are there other things that you use in AWS when you
0: no, work, that's or? pretty much it. And, and when I'm on the, the Google side, I'm using mostly their equivalents. I tend to use um, you know, the, the S3 equivalent cloud storage for, I, I tend to have a split. For dynamic files, I will use cloud storage. So stuff that is either created or the, the user uploads or that the system creates. Um, for more static stuff, I will use Firebase Hosting. And that has the advantage, again, it ends up being in the same project. Uh, and Firebase has a, a, a pretty sophisticated hosting and hosting management system to go with it. So the website that I always create to accompany the, uh, the skill or the action, that website is going to get deployed on Firebase hosting. I'll, you know, I'll give it its own yeah. custom domain name but it's now part of the project. It gets deployed at the same time as a function is. I can tie the two together where it makes sense. If I've got additional APIs, they just get deployed along with the same name. So there's, you know, uh, simple, nice. same, you know simple cores hosting, you know, simple cores naming. So that's not a problem. So Firebase hosting can be really useful for static files. For, for yeah. stuff that's more dynamic, I, I have to use um, cloud storage which, you know, it's fine, it makes sense. That's yeah. what it's there for.
1: Yeah, no, it, sounds, it does sound nice that they've wrapped a lot of those things into one because, you know, I'm always then creating some separate project for this is the website for my project or this is the API layer or...
0: Right, uh, no, it's really nice to really just think of the API layer and the webhook layer and the website and all of that stuff really is just one one thing. That I you know deploy and sometimes if I you know when I need to upgrade in sync.
1: Yeah. Very nice. Actually,
0: actually that leads to an interesting but how do you deal with version management? Have you because I know I don't deal with it well, I'll be honest.
1: <laughs> it's version management for like skills.
0: Um, when when you need to, you know, when you're giving your skill a new version, some new features. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's a, and,
1: and... yeah there's a feature built into um, uh, lambda which is alias and versioning Ooh. so every time you deploy a new lambda function it gets a new version mm-hmm. you can turn on an alias and so you can say version X is alias such and such and so then you get a unique um, URL or, or actually it's a it's an ARN, right, Mm -hmm. Amazon resource name, um, that includes that alias in it. And so when you're deploying your Alexa skill, then you deploy Mm -hmm. it with a specific version number um, as part of that uh, ARN. And so then you can lock to a specific version. uh, Plus I've got like different environments too. So I've got different things going on in different like a local dev uh, QA staging prod environment. Depending on you know, if it's a, more of a you know, side project versus a professional project, um, I'll have more stages. But um, so I do keep isolation in different environments with different databases and different deploys so functions so I don't break things. And then when it gets to the very end in production, then I can version each of the different uh, functions. And, and uh, so just uh, more recently, uh, I haven't had to do a, a lot with, uh, with Google. Um, but more recently, you know, trying to work on different strategies the same same way as how do I version this API gateway or, or the Lambda function that backs it so that it's got uh, that same same capability of, of isolating one version from another version.
0: No, that makes but, sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But sometimes it's nice because you can upgrade the back end and not do anything with the front end. Uh, you know, in right. front of me language model so i can you know push changes without having to go through certification as long as it's not a language model change
0: right as, you know as long as we don't have to get recertified where you know do we do as much as we can i i, I hear you there yeah no and so, that's, it's largely the same scale i mean the biggest difference is usually i maintain two two completely separate projects um and this is again so that i can just treat every project, you know each project as an isolated thing. And when I need to, I download the language model from uh, from my test project or my staging project, and then up, you know, make, make some local changes to point to the new project ID and re-upload those into the production project.
1: So what's really nice, since I do Jovo with cross-platform and Jovo has their own CLI, there's a number of advantages that I get. And one of them is that you can define in a configuration file right in your project, um, this concept of stages. So you can say, this uh, local stage is gonna go against this local webhook, which is really a proxy that's gonna go back to my development laptop so I can debug locally. Um, but it's, it also goes through this tool called a, a web-based uh, Jovo debugger, which captures the request and response, and you, oh, get, a nice, you get a nice visual, uh, you know, as you're talking and, and doing this local testing, you get to see visually uh, not only like what is the request and anything that's in session state and anything that's in the user database on the request side of things, but after when it comes out on the response side, you get to see that same thing and it's um, it's version history, so you can go back and click on previous point steps in the conversation and you get to see the state of those things at that point in time. Huge help when Very you're nice. um, when you're debugging things. So, um, you know, big fan of, of of that. But this idea of of different stages that I can define in this config, then I can build a specific stage, which you know tr- takes, takes my language model and my configuration and builds all that stuff locally um, on my machine, and then I can do a, a Jovo deploy and deploy a specific stage, which would then push the language model and skill information mm-hmm. to the Alexa Developer Console, if, if that's the case. And then uh, push it out to a lambda function for the code changes in the case of uh, with Google that it uh, it does a a zip file that's a dialog flow version two that that I can go in and, and update my uh, my entities inside a dialog flow and just restore over top of oh, everything yeah. and then and then that's updated there's There's a way you can do it more automated, but I usually don't go through the work of doing that last little bit. It'll be interesting with the uh, action Builder um, updates um, that, uh, that Jovo has built in now to see how that automation has chance oh, uh, yeah, faster. I haven't had a chance, yeah, I haven't had a chance to, to go back and look at that. You yet. know, you,
0: you, you talked about using a proxy. The, um, the proxy that I use called ngrok. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really like about ngrok is that it has a web inspector so that you can, uh, same way, you can see what the requests are and what your responses look like. So I, you know, will always go into it and and look at what the JSON that they're sending me is and how does it match what the documentation says should be there and what is the state that it represents and what am I sending back and does it match the format that's supposed to be there and so forth. No, NROC and and its inspector is one of the big tools that I use for for, for developing all my actions, uh, developing all my skills and for developing my library like multivocal. So it's it's very yeah. much one of my one of my key tools that I use.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, I chuckle a little bit because uh, the Alexa Skills Kit, you know, SDK. There's a whole series of you know files for that. But one of the recent things that they've released released is this um, local debugging, and I've <laughs> I just have to kind of chuckle because I, I, they use some sort of a proxy. I'm not sure if it is in Grok or not behind the scenes. But but I'm like I've been doing this for two years. I don't I don't know how anybody else coded this stuff I don't, you without know how you can. being able to do that. Yeah,
0: I you know I used to give people directions like, um, go look at what the JSON you're sending back is because what you're telling me doesn't make any
1: sense. Yeah, it's like okay, do a lot of console logs and look in CloudWatch. You know, I'm like if you don't, if you're not able to you know set breakpoints and debug your code local, um, then that's that's challenge. Uh, so yeah, luckily um, for the most part, I've been able to at least until recently been able to hook up my devices that are on a completely different you know personal Amazon account, uh, so that um, I could set up a beta test actually, and then early on, so even if it was a local debug pointing to my proxy, I could talk to my uh, Alexa device and have that go you know go through and and debug locally, but. There's been some, some things that they've changed um, with that that's kind of broken that.
0: This is one of the nice things on the Google side is that while you're developing, as long as you are, any any device that is permitted to the same account that you're developing with mm-hmm. has access. So as soon as you go, as soon as you test it using the built-in tester, or I think now even as soon as you deploy to test, it will, it's immediately available on all your devices.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the, the true for, for me too, but I have a number of different development accounts and I don't want to have to keep sw- swapping which device is on which account. Um, you know, cause I've got professional stuff. I've got side project things. I've got personal side mm-hmm. projects, thing, you know, so, um, <clears throat> it's, it was just nice to, to have all of my devices on my available that are already on my personal account, be able to be used for development. Yeah. If I went and, you know, personally connected, uh, an Echo Dot to a, you know, my Shazamble Dev uh, account, then I could just use that device out of the box without doing the beta test route, but. Uh, so the intro, so,
0: uh, and I don't know, maybe this is different, you know, maybe we are talking the same thing. One of the things that you can do is on, on the Google side is you can just permit the development to more than one account. Mm-hmm. Or you can set up alpha and beta channels and say, "Here's the list of accounts that have access in in alpha and beta channels."
1: Yeah, so I I, I can do that as uh, as well. Okay. Um and and that's that, that's part of the you know I guess my setup with, with different stages since I have different accounts and you can have same emails share across those accounts. Then I can I can configure into each of those different things. Um, but it's, when it comes to devices, it's a little bit different. It's my workflow has just been messed up lately because of some changes that they've done. What they're doing is is they're tightening up beta testing. That there's a series of verification tests that they want run against your your endpoint to verify that it's kind of passed some easy tests that you need to pass before you certify. But they're making that they're pushing that now available or making that have to happen before a beta test. But there is no alpha test um, that's available for for Alexa. So it's it's just. I, I'm a little bit grumpy about it because I've been doing this for years, and now they're just messing it up. And that, that's that's interesting, because,
0: it. It's interesting because Google's approach on that is alpha testing, you don't need to submit to review. Yep. Beta testing, you need to submit to the exact same review that you would need to submit to prod. The advantage, though, is once you pass it in beta test, you can now release it at any point. Right. So if you yeah, wanted, to, and, I, and
1: I actually like that model quite a bit better, I, to you know, to be honest. So, um, yeah, what what Alexa's done is there's a development version of a skill and a live version of a skill, and um, but that's not enough. Yeah, different environments. You know, well, if they if they follow that uh, that around, and I could add my own, you know, local QA, you know, staging, blah blah blah. Then then I, I'd, I'd be happier with that, but. The, the, the problem with
0: Google's approach is that there's, there is development, alpha, beta production. There's no easy way to say, for example, the development version points at this fulfillment and the alpha version points at this different fulfillment. Yeah. And the beta version and the production version then points at a different one still. Yeah, because changing the endpoint changes the the system, you know. Yeah, it's all all kind of
1: it's all all together. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there there were some ways that in theory you could do it in Dialogflow or with the the Assistant Dialogflow connection, but those now broke with Actions Builder.
1: (laughs) So no, it seems like things are breaking all over. But we we will talk about
0: breaking things all over in the Google <laughs> side another day, because that, that will take the whole show. Oh,
1: okay, that sounds sounds interesting. Um, just to finish, I guess, my thought on the Jovo stuff, um, part of the reason why I like the fact that it is cross-platform, I've mentioned, I guess, Jovo a number of different times. Um, no surprise that I'm a big fan, but uh, is there's just a number of different uh, plugins, so you can make it extensible. Uh, and there's a place you can go called the Jovo Marketplace and you can see all the different uh, plugins. And so, uh, for example, I've created one for Speech Markdown and one for Sentry, uh, which is a, a, a tool where I, it will capture exception logs in my Lambda and and you know push those out so that I can easily determine if something broke while I'm running it in production. Um, plus, I, I've created a, uh, a GitHub, uh, repository called Jovo Community where I've got some you know, validators, uh, so you can validate input for speech coming in. And so I created some validators and some uh, some additional tools. Um, I also have a Jovo plugin for time zone, so um, it's an easy way to get to the time zone if you. Except for if you're on Google, then what you can do is you can set default time zones, and you can also set default time zones based on the country from a locale, and since you get a locale, then at least you can get a time set a time zone that's close to the locale that you're in uh, without having to go through the all API calls and figure and, out all the turtle jumping to get time zone in Google Assistant, which I do not do.
0: And you know, it occurs to me that that works for like every locale except for English US and English Australia. I think every other locale just has one time zone. I have to think about that now. Hmm. That's a good point.
1: So that yeah. might be a way to, to go across the edge. So you can set a default yeah, for, for if, if it's such and such locale, then use this time zone and then you don't have to do the jumping through hurdles of trying to figure out what the real time zone is.
0: <sighs> Which will, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Which we've talked about before. We have talked about um, although it. Although, it, your, your, your comment about capturing error lines reminds me, how do you do analytics of your, your skills? Right.
1: So there are you know, some built-in analytics, um, but there are a number of different uh, Jovo plugins for analytics, including something called Dashbot. Um, so I've done, I've done that. I've also even rolled some uh, kind of in the earlier days with uh, Google Analytics. And there's some things I actually kind of like about that approach. So I don't know. There's yeah. uh, right, right now it's Dashbot and there's a free version that I can get, which gives me some, some of the things that I want. Um, but I'm still open to to no, I, uh, an, I, a different analytics provider.
0: I was a big fan of Dashbot back when I first discovered them and I still use them to some extent. And uh, I use Google's analytics a little bit. I have I've always had some issues actually accurately reporting things to them. I would often get things decide to suddenly disappear because they changed their validation and they no longer believed that I was coming from a Samsung mobile device, which I wasn't. Um, (laughs) It's okay. So it's it's interesting to see analytics were mostly mostly on the same track and mostly still trying to figure out really good ways of doing it. But yeah, Yeah. Dashbot's one of the better ones that I've seen and worked with.
1: Yeah. But they, you know, they obviously they need to make money and they've been at it a while and it's, it's, it's been challenging. Um, so the, a number of different features they've pushed into paid tiers and there's yeah. also limited, um, there's, you know, there's ways around that for, if you've got a small project that you're starting on, you can create a brand new account for that. And, uh, and then I guess, I think you get up to three, um, apps that you can yeah i don't remember the numbers numbers and so 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 that's where that's kind of where i start with the project and then if it grows more then i can um go ahead and switch on a paid thing if i need to for for clients
0: yeah i know one of the great things about it though is that it actually shows you how people are actually flowing through your your skill or action not just how you think they're going to be flowing through your skill or action and that's yeah, and it's also kind of fun to see. turn
1: it on to to live fire hose and just kind of watch people <laughs> use yours. <laughs> so that's fun. Let's see if there's anything else I've got on my list. Uh, so Alexa Developer Console. I use a couple of different uh, extensions. Uh, one from the um, Alex from the Jovo team, which I don't think's out yet. I'm doing a beta of that, so I get to do some additional. Features of the you know testing inside with the different uh, um, you know I guess making the conversation happen during simulation mode. There's mm-hmm. some additional shortcuts there. Uh, I Talked about different extensions of Visual Studio Code. Uh, yeah, I think I talked about basically I think what my environments all set up.
0: I think that that's pretty much my environment as well. And again, you know, since I'm mostly doing action stuff, I I tend to rely on the console a lot for the debugging and, and seeing how things flow through rather than, no, that's not true. I guess I do, I did say that I rely on ngrok for that a lot as well, so.
1: Yeah, so yeah, a lot of things with the, you know, Jovo CLI for me, which uh, yeah, it calls some different things behind the scenes too, so, so that, that works out nice. Oh, one of the things that we didn't talk about is unit testing. Uh, one of the things that I do, uh, since it's Node, then I've got a number of things available uh, for unit testing, so that would be things like mocha and chai, which are standard um, uh, unit testing uh, stuff for for JavaScript code, but then um, uh, different things for for mocking out uh, classes or or you know or objects mm-hmm. or code so I do that and then one of the things that uh, we use is uh, bespoken tools has uh, a code to go ahead and and uh, Allow you to simulate sending commands to your devices, uh, so you know sending intents uh, mm-hmm. or utterances that map to intents.
0: What what I tend to do, what I do is for a lot of my um, a lot of, a lot of the webhook testing that I'll do is I'll use ngrok to uh, you know I'll, I'll I'll capture the JSON that I send using ngrok and either I'll use ngrok again to resend it over and over until it gives me the output I want, or I'll copy the JSON and then send that separately through my test tool. So I've got a bunch of JSON files representing known states and to some extent, what I want the result JSON to look like, I don't have a really good way to compare what I want the result in JSON to look like though. So I'm, I'm still trying to find really good json diff tools that let me say i care about this part and i don't care about this part
1: yeah have you um this is interesting, have you looked at jsonata at all jsonata that's a
0: new one for me huh? so it's a um it
1: you can yeah you can go to jsonata and there's a, like a try tab you can uh, post json on the left hand side but then you can execute queries against your um it's it's a, it's kind of like in some cases, like a SQL, it's not the same SQL syntax, but it's kind of the same concept. You write a query against that JSON, and you can extract different parts out of it. So you know, maybe you could use that to extract parts out of um, your JSON, and then use something else to div just that part or something.
0: Some, yeah, some of what I do right now is I've got tools in Multivocal that let me extract, you know, the value at the end of a path, a JSON path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I extract it from, you know, so I have lists of Check these paths out and see how the and, and do dips against those paths but it's it's cumbersome and not always as useful as I'd like it to be
1: yeah, so you could you know might be able to use something like json auto or there's a, there's other ones out there that would be now you specify what the query is that would be executing, and then you would use that to get to the javascript mm-hmm. uh, to the json actually but um, so that's something oh one other thing I wanted to mention is um, since you have um, an Alexa just as short seven seconds or less, you, know, you got to be careful with how many API calls and stuff you make. Yes. So number of things I tr- uh, try to do with caching uh, in session or in, in user storage so that when I pull back uh, information that I don't, I don't have to make multiple calls. But one of the things also is if you've got some things that your Alexa skills bigger than a part of a bigger process and it's making API calls, but it's it's not something that the the skill itself needs it just, the, the skill is triggering it. Um, so so basically you can treat it in an asynchronous fashion. Um, I've started using EventBridge. So I created a, um, a Lambda uh, function that is triggered. Uh, so EventBridge is like an event bus. So um, I can just send a message or one or more events based on something and then have some Lambda function, other, some other Lambda function wake up uh, pick it up and process it and so uh, there's been a project i worked on recently where um, there would be different things happening and then the alexis skill would just trigger some other process that was happening behind the scenes by just sending an event uh, bridge message and uh, so it, it, it's very quick to just send that asynchronous message it doesn't know need to know anything about it other than here i sent this thing yeah it's a fire and, and forget it, like, like like yeah yeah. I, on then, the
0: Google side I've done the same sort of thing using um Google's PubSub. Yeah. And again it's you know you fire it off and some other function is going to take care of it you don't care what. Yeah. One one of the nice things that I actually tend to do with Google functions for those sorts of things is I um I delay them all until after I send back the reply to in fact for anything that doesn't actually have to go back to uh, the action or the skill that sends back to the user I delay that until after I send back the reply So oh, the function will keep running mm-hmm. after it sends back a reply for a few more seconds and that's where I handle things like um, logging and uh, You know analytics stuff and any anything that I need to you know that's fire and forget because that will run for a little bit longer and I get a faster trivial response time
1: Okay, yeah, that makes sense all right, nice. Well, I've learned some different things.
0: Uh, I certainly have. That was fun, <laughs> you know. And I think this, you know, a bunch of tips. We we started covering a bunch of our little tips and tricks, and I think we'll be talking about some more of those again in the future.
1: Just yeah, to, I think we need to. There's there's definitely some different things. I, sometimes I I don't even realize what I'm doing since I've done, <laughs> been doing this for long. So it'd be right. nice to think about it and kind of like try to isolate some of those things.
0: No, it's it's the sort of thing where you know I've had people ask me questions, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is not. They're, they're, you know, they're not going to tell you how to do this, but you can piece it together. And I think if, if we can start helping people piece it together, you know, once again, uh, we're going to have people making better and better stuff. So, you know, if you're doing some great stuff out there that you want other people to know about, if you've got your tips and tricks, we encourage you share them, share them however you want, or share them with us. And we're happy to, to pass them along and, you know, point
1: people in your direction as well. Yeah, I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to learn as well. I agree. Well, this has been a great uh, episode of Two Voice Devs. Appreciate you for, uh, for watching or listening and keep doing voice development. Take care, everyone. All right, take care.